Interested in energetics, intention, alignment, integrity, and ethics? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Sacred Leadership Podcast. This space is for you to gain inspiration, wisdom, and knowledge from exceptional leaders to support you in your leadership journey. I'm your host, Amber Gordon, trained therapist and intention and alignment coach here to ask all the deep questions to get the raw truths. Settle in, take a breath, set your intention for what you're open to receiving from this episode, because it is time to drop in. On today's show, we are dropping in with Megan Batia, who is a longtime friend. I first connected with Megan after her husband, Marty, was actually one of my first clients when I started my coaching business. Um, Since then, I've actually had the honor of being on Megan's podcast a few times and even got to meet Megan in person when she was visiting Austin, Texas, back when I was living there. Megan is an explorer of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual realms. Megan is the host of the Amory podcast, where she and her two partners share vulnerably about their experience navigating polyamory. She offers one-on-one coaching and facilitates small group learning around self-love, relationships, and experiential alchemy with plant medicine. Her programs empower the individual to tap back into their own intuitive learning process. Megan is also learning and working to adapt her adult self-love curriculum for kids with the intention to equip the next generation with relational skills and awareness that will allow them to thrive. Love that, Megan. After traveling with her twins and her two partners to over 14 countries in the last four years, she now happily calls Costa Rica her home, where she is joining us from today. Megan, you are a true leader and pioneer in so many aspects of life. It has really been a journey for you. So for the people who don't know you so well, I would love for you to just share a little bit about your story and your journey in your own words. Oh, Amber, thank you so much. Can I just first say thanks for inviting me on your podcast? I love our conversations. I've loved being able to host you and I'm so excited for this. Ah, So how does one describe (laughs) one's experience of how did I get here? Um, (laughs) It's still kind of a mystery to me. You You weren't always who you are. You didn't come out the womb this way. It's been a a journey. (laughs) I would say my life really started to take a left turn about five years ago when my husband of, at that point, I think 15 years, um, 14 years, and I decided that we wanted to sell our home, travel around the world, and we opened up our relationship at the same time. So there were a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainty, and that catalyzed growth for me like no other stage of my life. So uh, fast forward, we ended up traveling around the world, uh, many different countries. We've now settled in Costa Rica. I do live with my husband and he and I alternate days with our other partners. We live what feels like a normal life to me now, but I realize as I talk with people and they ask questions and they give me confused looks like, wait, two partners, I don't understand that. Um, It feels like a really beautifully balanced life right now. And I'm so happy to be here, and I know that we're going to get get into the thick of it <laughs> with coaching, with all of that. Uh, a little bit of my previous story before you know all of that happened was I worked for Fortune 500 companies doing leadership training. I've been a facilitator for about a decade, I've led conferences, so I have a lot of kind of corporate skills that I feel like I just shifted a bit, pivoted a little bit. Yeah. And it was, uh, 
one of like the most surprising conversations of my entire life when uh, Megan and I met up and were talking in person for the first time. I was like, I feel so called to really, really, really start to talk about leadership, especially in you know, these areas where we are just so emotionally related to whether it's our coworkers, our family, people are waking up, people are working on themselves. And how do we kind of navigate that while in relationship to other people? And when you were like, yes, I am so here for that. And we had this, I, we were there for hours, um, <laughs> having juicy conversations about leadership and all the different aspects of that. And I was able to come on your podcast and kind of talk a little bit more about that. And today for our purposes, because if you want to know more about Megan and Megan's relationship and all that kind of stuff, you can totally go and listen to any of the episodes of the Amory podcast. They share anything and everything over there. <laughs> but for today, Megan and I are actually going to talk about something that I consider to be a little bit of a hot topic. And that is the concept of like peer coaching or peer relationship, um, essentially somebody calling themselves a coach simply because they're a little bit further ahead in the journey than the person that they're trying to help. And this is not a new concept. Peer support has been around since the beginning of time. We seek out mentors, right? Mentors are essentially somebody who we aspire to be like in some way, shape, or form, we see something in them that we want to emulate or incorporate in our own lives. So it's not a foreign thing at all. However, I think with the development of social media and everybody being able to kind of be their own personal brand, things can get a little bit sticky, right? Because how do we know who is a good peer support, who is a good coach, who is a good person to align ourselves with and not only good, but safe and ethical at the same time. So just kind of opening up the conversation with that, where do you kind of see yourself standing in your own integrity? And where do you also want to maybe caution people or give them some tools or insight to look for? Oh, I think this is such a good topic. <laughs> so I will profess I have no degrees after I have no letters after my name. I have no degrees. I actually have no certifications and I coach people and I facilitate group work and I, I feel confident in that space. Uh, so I will tell you the things that I do personally, and then I can tell you what I recommend people do. So for me, one of my biggest values is that I think that people are smart and that we can learn uh, learning is all around us. I think it is innate. I think we are built for it. You know, you can look at kids and see that we learn as human beings. I love, I love organized learning. I, I like that there are certain paths of learning that people can go down to, let's say, get a coaching certificate or a therapy degree. And I really value experiential learning. <laughs> so the reason that I'm confident in what it is that I do and how I work with people is that I believe people can do the same thing too. In fact, that's actually what I'm teaching people is how do you have a framework for yourself to intuitively learn what you need 
not what someone else is telling you that is important. Because if you see the whole model, even getting a degree in a certain field then sets you up as the expert. And then so you relate to people like you know better than them. I'm not saying you personally, I'm saying generally. And then the way that people engage with that person is sometimes, well, this is the therapist, they have a degree, they know better, I should be listening to them. I actually flip that upside down and I say, I'm not you. I don't know you. Uh, you know you. I can give you some tools so that you can better understand the signals that are coming up and through your body. You know that thing that we'd like to cut off because we all like to live in our heads? <laughs> that, that thing that your head is attached to, your body is so full of information and wisdom. And by tapping into it, you have the skill set to guide yourself. You have the ability to be your own compass. And that's actually how I work with people. Uh, I know that, uh, talk about safety. Sometimes people's own bodies don't feel safe to themselves. So that is actually where I've done a lot of work for myself. That is how I support my clients to create a safe space in their body and actually to become aware when they are not safe because there are periods where we are just not safe in our body we get triggered, we're in our fight or flight mode. Um, I don't listen to myself then. <laughs> I've got like bumper rails on myself to be like, I am triggered. This is not a good place to make a decision from. I'm going to calm down my, my nervous system. Then I'm going to come back to this issue. So, um, I, you know, and try to sum up as best I can, but this is actually the process that I think people need to learn for themselves. And I think it is the very fact that I am not tainted per se by any, any specific form that I have to relate to people through. I find myself to be, to show up in the best way that I can for people. Now, all of that being said, I totally have biases. I do my best to understand what it is and where my bias is. In fact, I was coaching my clients the other day and I, I flat out started the session by saying, I know that I'm biased here. We can have this conversation and I would like to talk at the end to see if it's still a good fit, knowing my bias and knowing where you're at. So I think the more aware that I can be, the more aware anyone can be, any coach going into stepping into the realm with someone else to understand their own biases, biases is hugely important. Um, and of course, I'm still uncovering them. That is my work that I see, my sacred work in this, um, so that I can hold a clear space as possible for someone to step in to and then to see the work that I'm still doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a few things that I think would be really powerful to just highlight that you shared. And the first is that we have to be be careful when somebody is positioning them positioning themselves as an expert, right? And this is not to say that we're like, you know, if you went to school for something or if you've studied something, like, yes, you know a lot about that thing. If you have firsthand experience in a thing, you are going to know a lot about that thing. I have found that when I'm coming up against, whether it's a coach or a therapist or even a mentor, right, that comes into it saying like, this is the best way or this is how to do something or this is the right way to do something. To me, that's a bit of a red flag because to your point, the only person that's an expert in you is going to be you. Mm -hmm. And yes, that way of doing something may have worked really, really well for that person, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work really well for you or that is the best fit for you. 
So to me, an ethical practitioner, whatever you know role they are assuming or whatever title they're using, is always going to be someone that's going to say like, hey, here's what I have to offer based on my lived experience, my studies, my knowledge, you know, the research that I've done, here's what I have to offer. How does that feel for you? Or where does that sit for you? Mm -hmm. Or what is your experience of what I'm sharing with you? And they are genuinely interested in helping that person to incorporate or integrate whatever it is that they're sharing. And they're also not going to be um, triggered if that person's like, actually, you know what? I think that that's bullshit or like, that's not for me or, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, what you're sharing right now, like in terms of where I'm at with my lived experience, that's not going to work. Um, I see this a lot with, you know, we there's like this whole like manifestation abundance thing and intention and all that good stuff. And whereas like, you know, we can have a very rich conversation about energy and why that from a science perspective is very applicable, but there's going to be people who are coming up against parameters in terms of, you know, their socioeconomic status or, you know, mm -hmm. maybe they're in an unsafe situation. And there are things that you can't just like, you know, manifest your way out of that without taking certain things into consideration. And the other piece that I would like to highlight is the fact that you are doing the work to make sure that when you're having conversations with people, you're being very honest and transparent about your part in it and your bias because we're going to have them. That was, you know, when I was going through training as a therapist, they are like, yep, your bias are going to come up. Make sure that if they're coming up in the session, like, you know, you're going to go and you're going to talk to your supervisor about them. Um, after practicing for a few years now, um, <laughs> I've realized that sometimes it's actually very helpful to share them in the session because I totally. am a human being. I'm mm -hmm. not I'm not a blank slate. I am coming into this with my own stuff. And that's okay as long as we're acknowledging it, as long as we're essentially calling it out and being like, hey, here, here's where I stand. I can still do the work to hold space for you, give you unconditional positive regard and be a neutral party in this. But mm -hmm. I have this awareness and pretending like you don't or pretending like you've done all of the work. I think that's where people get into a bit of trouble. Oh, and my so, gosh. I so agree. Where do you feel like doing the work, right, like has shown up for you in your life and where is it showing up currently? Oh, I love this. So I will tell you where it started showing up. I started not one-on-one. -on -one. About a decade ago, I started facilitating group um, conversations. And it was at a nonprofit that I was working at. And I started to get this idea that I, just even through the way that I was relating to people in the group with the questions that I was asking, I wasn't a pure facilitator. You know, they have people have this idea that, okay, the facilitator is totally separate from the conversation, but it's kind of like that quantum physics thing, you know, the observer affects reality. I'm like, I'm affecting the way this whole conversation is going, even if I'm not directly adding my opinion in there. So that started to occur for me about 10 years ago. And then I would watch these group conversations happen and I would listen, I would feel my body as people were talking. And then I could feel these little blips of like, oh, that one, that comment got me or oh, a little something over there. And I remember sitting and doing the work in real time in that moment to say, oh, wow, this is mine. Like this just came up through me. 
what's going on there. And so I started doing that really kind of not as a conscious process, just as like an inkling of, I think I'm affecting the group this way, or I could affect the group. And that has developed into a full-blown practice now. I mean, this is why I think that even when we sit down in this dyad, this one-on-one where we are technically coaching people, I am still always learning. And that's why it doesn't even feel authentic to me to say, to, to even put the pretense on that I'm not fully in the learning moment at that time. And that is how I approach every conversation. And it's not to say every conversation, I even insert my opinion. You know, sometimes I really am listening, but on the, inter- on the inside, I'm listening to everything that that person says. I'm watching if I have any internal reactions, noting, wow, I think I might have a little work to loosen up that piece that feels a little pinchy for me. Or wow, I had an emotional reaction when they said that. I might still have an insecurity there. I'm going to look at that. And now I can do it m- much quicker, you know, where something would have caught me off and I would have maybe checked out for like 10 minutes of the conversation or, you know, or even longer. Uh, now it's like, oh, split second. Okay. Split second. I'm back. Split second. I'm back uh, for the most part. So I, I really, really love coaching conversations because there's so much for me to learn from the people that I'm, I'm coaching. And obviously there's a lot of benefit for people that I'm working with. I mean, I see that, I hear it, uh, that's very clear, but I will, I, I will always let them know how much they are bringing to my life with their, with their level of vulnerability and intimacy and allowing me into their world and what an honor that is, uh, and how much they are adding to my life, whether or not I can fully consciously understand it in that moment or not. Mm. Does that yeah, answer the and, question? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that actually brings up, you know, a a point that I wasn't necessarily planning on highlighting, but I think it's worth sharing is that I find that people that I really gravitate towards in terms of really feeling like they are ethical and integrous are people who approach their work with a high level of service and humility. Because I know that I do that. I feel so deeply honored mm-hmm. every time you know a client is willing to sit in session with me and drop in and go deep and be vulnerable and trust me to hold them and help them through their process. It is it's something I do not take lightly, and so no, I, I feel that in our friendship. Mm-hmm. I, f- I feel yeah. that <laughs> like it, it's it it is a sacred thing. It really it is a sacred thing to be able to hold hold space for another human and to be mm-hmm. able to do it in a way that is truly neutral. It's truly, you know, that unconditional positive regard. I think that in and of itself is healing, truly. Mm. And Oh, I can tell you that. one other thing as you were saying that. I love that unconditional positive regard. I never, I haven't heard that before. Mm-hmm. The way, I guess I use more of the Cartman drama triangle um, where, you you know, the victim, the persecutor and the rescuer. Mm-hmm. I And then the other side, which is the empowerment triangle where you have the creator and you have the challenger and the coach. I tell people every time um, you are not a victim to to your life. I will, I, I relate to you like the creator and I, and whether or not I say that out loud or I think it, I sit with them as if what they're telling me there's there's nothing quote unquote wrong it has to it that is their current challenge that they're facing and in my heart i know that they are capable 
of learning and growing through it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have that current challenge. So Mm -hmm. I really sit in that place in my heart. And I think beyond outside of the the coaching realm, I think I just look at people like that. In fact, I think I have always kind of been like that. I've been, this is why I've evolved into this role because it is who I am. It is probably who you are, you know, even Mm -hmm. before, long before you decided to get your degrees, because friends would probably come to you and share or ask for your advice and you just hold them in that safe space. Now it's good to cultivate that, to consciously build it, to know what it is you're practicing. And then for people like us, we get to do it every day. Oh my Mm -hmm. God. Like how lucky are we? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. We actually, we had um, my mom and my fiance's mom and um, her uh, current partner over for dinner and I forget what was happening. We were basically like talking about one of my ex-boyfriends and how there was a lot of red flags that I maybe should have seen but didn't. And my mom made this comment. She was like, yep, well, Amber, you know, she always sees the best in everybody. And she kind of mm-hmm. said it in a way that it was maybe a little bit of a, a downfall of mine. But I was like, you know what? That's what makes me a really good therapist. That's what makes me a really good mm-hmm. coach. Like I am here honestly cheering for Every single person that I meet, I really, truly believe in the best in people. And I feel like that's just kind of how I'm oriented as a soul. Um, And it really makes it a lot easier to do this work because I'm not working very hard to believe in the people that I'm working with. I just naturally do. Do. And And you know, it's so crazy is that's a bias, right? We are naturally biased to see the best in people. And our biases aren't bad. I think everybody looks at these things like, oh, watch out for all of our biases. If we are aware of them, we can actually put ourselves into a position, into a context in which that bias is actually going to serve us. You know, mm-hmm. you want someone coaching you who ultimately believes in you and who is coming, holding you in that space. You wouldn't necessarily, I'm not a very good judge. Like, put me into a place where I have to be critical of people on purpose. I'm not going to I'm not going to do that very well. I'm just not. So it's like know thyself, right? Know know your biases. Um yeah, this is a little side note, but I just I think everybody re- it's like we relate to these things like they're bad. It's instead of no no, if we are just aware of them, then we can be accountable for that. Then we can own it. Then we know how to navigate ourselves, yeah, in these okay. contexts. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of a, a bit of an issue that I have uncovered in terms of when I am sitting in the observer role of, you know, just this revolution that has been like the coaching industry and social media and how these things relate to each other. Um, Back in like 2020, when I was learning how to be a coach, right? Like I knew how to be a therapist, but I didn't understand like this whole social media coaching personal brand. I didn't know any of that. And there was this narrative that was basically like, well, you are basically like God's gift to your client. Like they should just fork over all of their money because you are so freaking awesome and you're going to like just change their life. And you just need to know that you're going to change their life, whether they know it or not. And they should just give you all their money. And that's it because you're so freaking awesome. And part of me is like, yeah, like I know I'm really good at what I do. I have a lot of self-efficacy in terms of like knowing that like I am in this role because I'm good at it. I work very hard to be very good at it. 
Um, but in terms of coming with this, like, okay, like, you know, I'm worth like a hundred thousand dollars a month. Like, give me your money, bitch. Like that, that I, I just, and I see it everywhere and I see it still being taught over and over and over again. And I'm like, where is the service? Where is the humility? Where is the fact that somebody coming to you and being like, here is my soul. Um, mm-hmm. that is a sacred contract that we are entering into. And it, and so many people are damaged because it is not seen that way. And that oh is like gosh. one of my biggest problems yes. right now. <laughs> well, I think about power. You bring up such a good point because we are floating in a sea of power. It's like moving, it's exchanging in every relationship. And so naturally when someone has a problem that is a huge pain point and they want it to go away, they want it to be solved. And they look at someone like you or I and say, this person can help me get rid of this pain, Right what they do is they hand over their power unknowingly, unknowingly, and their money. And and that's fine. And there's an agreement there. There's an energetic exchange. I think it's valuable to to feel compensated, to feel valued for showing up for, you know, being who we are. But I think every time people come to me and I'm like, okay, thank you. Like energetically, thank you for your power. I'm going to give it back to you because you were back in the driver's seat of this and I am going to be your loving witness and I will be here. I will ask you questions. I I can, you know, support you and I don't want your power. You know, I think that that is like so, so, so clear to me at least. And I feel like that's, that's maybe at the root of that. It's not just, it's not just money, right? It's the power dynamics involved through money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's true. And I think that that's where, I, I can't say, you know, with certainty, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I, if you have a certification, then you should coach. If you have a license, then you should be a therapist. Because truly, Megan, like, I, I consider you to be one of the most ethical individuals I know in terms of really bringing that level of awareness to your work with your clients. And like, and to your point that you share, you're like, I don't have degrees in this. I don't have certifications in this. But I have referred many people to you and will continue to refer people to you because of this awareness that you bring to the work that you do. And so this is where it gets tough because people come to me a lot and they're like, how do I know if somebody is going to be a good coach? What letters do I look for? What certifications? And I'm like, there is no answer really for that. It really comes down to the questions that you're going to ask that person and the feeling that you get. Mm -hmm. But that's also a little bit tricky because the type of person that we're going to be attracted to working with also has a lot to do with where we're at in our journey. Because if you're looking for a savior that's going to be like, give me your money and I will transform your life. Guess what? There are plenty of those out there and you will find them and they will take your money and probably nothing will happen because nobody can transform your nobody life. Nobody can transform you. your life, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. And this is why when I engage with people, I'm like, I will be your loving challenger. What does that mean to be a loving challenger? It means that I won't always be saying the thing that you want to hear and it might trigger you sometimes. And do I have your permission to do that? I will hold Mm. you as safely and lovingly as possible and I'm here to support you. And sometimes that means asking questions that are hard or getting to that root that hurts and it's okay. You know, you don't have to love me in that moment. 
You don't even have to think of me nicely in that moment. But if I hit a vein, I will know. And do you, do you give me consent? And do you know that we are lovingly engaging in this relationship? You know, because even that coaching, anytime someone comes to us, it, it, we are creating the, the agreements of that relationship, which again, I know that this podcast is not about polyamory, but if there's one thing that open relationships have taught me is that I am in the driver's seat of creating the relationship agreements that work for me. And I think that that is, that overflows into the coaching realm where I really make sure that I understand what it is that someone is looking for and what it is that I can do and that we find a really happy sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings up, you know, a whole other piece that I think is worth having a little sidebar about. And that is the conversation around consent and permission and expectations and implicit and explicit, you know, values Mm -hmm. and all of these things. Because a lot of times, especially with what we have come to see in mainstream media, coaching has kind of gotten this reputation where it's like, okay, like hard, fast, hit you over the head, whether you like it or not. And like, maybe you're not going to feel so good afterwards. Um, And, you know, whereas like it is sometimes very important to bring people to their edge and to challenge them again, doing that with compassion, doing that with consent, doing that with permission, also taking enough time to know your clients and being trauma-informed, and I know that that's like a very big buzzword right now, but being trauma-informed enough to understand where it is safe and appropriate to challenge someone and where, you know, it's not. And I feel like what we had talked about before in terms of people really utilizing pain points as marketing strategy, to me, I I hate that. I still see Mm -hmm. that all over social media in terms of like, yes, like find your client's pain points and then like highlight them. And I'm like, wow, like you're really essentially exploiting people's trauma, like in that type of marketing, in that type of sales process. And is it important to highlight the um, challenges that you work with people on? Absolutely. But Mm -hmm. I think being able to do that in a way that is trauma informed, that is, again, not doing more harm to the people who are trusting you to hold space for them and knowing that you are doing your work with compassion, um, that really has to be paramount. And that's something that I really pride myself in is that Mm -hmm. I know all of my clients know, like, I love the shit out of them. I do. Like, there is so much compassion there. But like, I am tough. And I I take full ownership of that where I'm like, you know what, we're going to get in here. We're going to do some work. Like, I am not the therapist or coach for you if you want things like sugar-coated or if you want some hand-holding or if you or if you want to take three years to like figure out what the hell's going on with you I'm not the person for you but is there a lot of love there absolutely yes. am I ever going to push you past a threshold that feels dangerous or unsafe absolutely not because most of the time people have had enough of that in their lives yeah. they don't need well, that to you, Amber. The helping them Yeah. Like, you know yourself, right? And that's why awareness, awareness is like the number one tool (laughs) for coaches, for anyone seeking coaching. It's just awareness. Like where, where do you thrive? How do you work? Um, I ask my clients all the time too, when we start first, like what, what kind of coaching do you, 
do you respond to best? Some people like the harder, challenging questions. Some people are like, please be gentle with me. I'm working through this. And then honestly, we're different every single day. Mm -hmm. You could have a client that's normally like, yeah, bring it on. And then just one day be like, hey, I'm really, I'm feeling super tender. This thing happened yesterday. And I just... I, I just kind of want to be held in this conversation. So, and I think as we allow oh, the beautiful mirror of coaching, as we give that to other people, we give permission to ourselves too. Mm. You know, there's so much in the way that I relate to clients where I realize, thank goodness I flex this muscle for others because now it comes back to me. I'm like, oh yeah, I can show up differently for myself. Sometimes I'm all for that challenge. And then sometimes I'm like, whew, I just, I need a minute. I need a minute. I will step back into it. But right now I just, I just need a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, in my uh, therapy career, I inadvertently ended up specializing in working with people who are in, I'm putting air quotes here for anyone who's not watching the video, <laughs> al alternative relationship constructs. Um, and it was so interesting to me because the level of communication that was just woven into being in anything that required a little bit more intention or thought, right? And technically, every relationship requires intention and thought. We're just basically used to the default setting of like, oh, I got mm -hmm. married to that person. And now they're like living with me for forever. And like, it's fine. I don't really need to think about it too much. But when you are in, you know, an open relationship construct, there is a lot of um, communication that has to happen. And so the ability to check in with other people, but more importantly, check in with yourself mm -hmm. is something that I like, it's common for you. It's common for me. I do it with my fiance all the time that I realize that most people like I will start a therapy session or a coaching session. I'm like, Hey, like, how are you? And they're like, Oh, how I they maybe didn't check in with how they were actually feeling from the last session that we had to the session that we're having right now because mm -hmm. people don't know how to take self-inventory because we're not taught to actually pause and check in with ourselves and be like, ooh, oh, wow, like I'm feeling a little dysregulated right now. Like what would I need, right, advocating for our need uh -huh. in order to feel more regulated and then to take that a step further, communicating that to someone else. So I think even, again, in that practice of you being a coach and showing up and saying like, hey, how are you? What do you need from me right now? That is a game changer. It really is. And I second that. I mean, a lot of people don't know what they need. That's actually even a really confronting question to many. Like, wait, wait, what do I need? I don't know. I So I run these self-love groups. And one of the first, it's been now two plus years that I've been doing them. But the first group that I put together, that first session, I asked the question, what, what is it that you need and want? And I think I've, I sent like half of them into a triggered state. They're like, oh God, I don't know. I don't know what I need and want. And I mean, it's such a big question, right? But if we're not checking in with it very often, that it can feel even daunting. And then we get to into the relationship of, well, how am I relating to my needs? Am I allowed? Am I allowed to want? Can I? Is that okay for me? Can I ask for it? Uh, it's just, yeah, this huge bundle, huge, huge bundle. Mm -hmm. So I, I know so for me, self-love is like the focus it is what everything, it doesn't matter what conversation I start. I find that it usually goes back into that bucket of self-love. And in the topic of self-love, the way that I, I 
holds that is it is our ability to understand ourselves, to be aware, to accept ourselves, to find ourselves worthy of meeting our own needs or requesting them to be met, uh, to taking care of ourselves uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So to me, this is like the core nugget of being human. (laughs) And that's why I thank you for including that part in my intro of talking with kids. You know, what if the next generation had the skill set of being aware of uh, full circle, what it is that they need and want in any given moment? And what if they were equipped with that to meet the need themselves or request that being met? Or if it couldn't be met, you know, not think that, that they were unworthy, just like, okay, that person can't meet that need right now. Um, what does that mean? What are my other choices? Okay, I can look over here. I can look over there. I can meet it for myself. Yeah, I imagine this for the next generation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so obviously, like, you know, you have come to a place where you're pretty in touch with your purpose, your calling. Going back in time a little bit, did you know that this is kind of where you would end up when you started Amory, when you started sharing, when you and Marty had that first conversation about, you know, just kind of like saying fuck it to like the, you know, the status quo and like what was socially acceptable and the norm and all the constructs you had been taught and being like, we're just going to break it all and put it back together again (laughs) in a way that works for us. And we don't even know exactly what that is yet. And on top of that, we're going to share what we're figuring out as we're figuring it out. (laughs) It sounds crazy when you put it like that. (laughs) I think that's why so many people are like sitting and observing your journey being like, oh my gosh, like how, how, right? But this is where the beautiful thing about this work is that you're kind of, you know, several steps ahead slash on the other side and people are like, yo, how did you get there? I, I mean, I... Okay. So first, I know that I value learning and sharing. That was really clear when we started Amory Podcast. And I remember telling my dad, actually, before we left for the first country to go to Brazil, I was like, Dad, I just want to learn and share. And he does the dad thing. Yeah, but can you make money doing that? (laughs) I don't know, but I'm going to try. That's literally as much as I knew. I want to learn and share point blank. Like I did not know in what categories. I just knew that I was living something that was so extraordinary outside of the script that I had given been given for life. And I felt so passionate. I was like, do people know that this exists? Do like, do they know that this is an option? And yeah, it was super messy. I mean, it's still messy. I just have more skills now to work through it. And I feel way more, I didn't even, so I did not have any vocabulary around attachment theory. I didn't understand what it meant to be secure with myself. Um, I didn't have any of that mental framework, nothing, when we started this journey five years ago. Um, I had to go through every painful step, uh, every insecurity, everything. And that's why, I mean, I guess this is where the confidence to work with people comes from. It's like there's very few times that I'm talking with someone that I don't actually understand what their body physically feels like in that moment when they're telling me that they feel really insecure, that their partner's going to leave them or that they're not good enough. I'm like, yep. I I know. Uh, and so no, to answer your question, I had no idea that I was going to end up here. Like I, and I still kind of consider it like mid journey. You know, I'm really passionate about self-love right now. And I'm sure that that will evolve into something else. Um, I leave room for that. This is just where I'm at. And those values of learning and sharing still guide me. They're like my compass. Okay. Every time I learn something, then I, I turn around and I share it maybe on my podcast, maybe with a 
a friend, maybe with a neighbor. It's just like I get passionate about what it is that I'm learning. Again, I think that those are very innately my personal qualities. So um, yeah, mid-adventure, I'd say it's it's fantastic for anyone out there listening it's okay to not know exactly where you're headed. I think that that is part of the skill set of the future to be able to sit with uncertainty. Because mm. I found both for me and for so many of my clients, having certainty is what makes us feel safe. And so when we don't have certainty about where we're headed, what our relationship is like, what job we're going to do next, how someone's going to react, um, we feel unsafe. And that's where the whole slew of things happen, right? We get into our fight or flight response. We start projecting a crazy future. And then we're taking action from that fear-based state. Like it's crazy. Um, so my friends, you are not alone in feeling insecure about uncertainty. Um, but there is a way to live with uncertainty, I think, with an inner security of you knowing yourself. And I think that that is part of the magic of being human, right? It's like mm -hmm. discovering these things, creating that beautiful space within us of security, of that that foundation. And I don't know if it's just an age thing. It could just be as I get older, as we get older, we feel more secure in ourselves. That's quite possible. I mean, I'm 43 now <laughs> um, and, and I still feel so young in so many ways and like there's so much ahead of me. Um, but I, I do think that this is a skill set for the future when I think about my kids and the things that they might need. Yeah, I, I say that a lot to my clients, that there are very few superpowers that we can cultivate as human beings. And our ability to be comfortable with being uncomfortable is absolutely one of them. And again, like, it, you know, expanding that emotional bandwidth and your toolbox to be able to regulate when you're feeling dysregulated. And being able to hang out there, even though it's like uncomfortable, but still be at a place where you're at peace with that discomfort. Oof, the whole world really opens up when you're able to essentially sit in that space and sit in it, you know, relatively comfortably, even though it's uncomfortable. And I think a lot of our life is actually designed to keep us away from that. Yeah. A lot of our life is designed to be convenient, to be comfortable. We are very truly, you know, physiologically and biologically biased towards doing things that don't cause us discomfort, right? Like we are not really good at like being like, oh, wow, that scares the shit out of me. Let me go that way. Like, <laughs> Let's go that, that way. Yeah. Like our bodies are like, you know, right? Because they care about one thing. They care about surviving. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we're like, actually, let's do the thing that seems like it might be a really bad idea, but we're going to do it anyway. That's what our body's like. We're not on board with this. We're going <laughs> to trigger the full bells and whistles, fight or flight response. And that's going to stop you. We're going to make sure that you stay right where you are. And so it's all too easy to essentially give into that cycle where, you know, we might sit there and scroll on social media or daydream or be watching, you know, TV or movies or even reading a book or, you know, seeing someone out in the world where we're like, oh, ugh, that could never be me. Well, like, wh why not? Why not? Uh-huh. Right. I love and that. I think that's one of the things I love so much about your story is that you, you know, people might not know this. I know this, but like you are living like the very standard status quo, like typical American life, right? Like you, mm -hmm. you guys had essentially checked all the boxes and but it felt like, no, this isn't it, right? You checked all the boxes and you still didn't feel that sense of like, 
we have arrived, you know, we have we have done it. And being able to listen to that little voice, that little tug that's like, you know what, maybe we could do something crazy here. Like maybe there's something else to try. But then leaning into it, especially at the beginning of your journey when you didn't necessarily have all the tools that you have now. I think to me, that is like the most inspiring. And I would imagine if we polled your audience that that's like something that (laughs) other people would find to be the most inspiring. So if you could talk to that past version of yourself, right? And like tell her a little bit about what your journey has ended up looking like. What would you like to go back and say to her? Oh, there's two past me's that I would talk to. So there was a past me when I was 17, I left the country and I studied abroad in Belgium. So I lived with a host family there. I was the kid that was like, oh, that scares me. I'm going to do that. And I, I, and I loved that. I definitely, if, if like risk tolerance is on a scale, I was highly risk tolerant. I was like, I'm going to go out and do that thing that, that feels crazy. So in many ways, I kind of feel like I'm coming back to her. I just reread portions of my journals that I kept at my in-laws and I found them over Christmas this season. And I read some of it and I was like, God, I could have written that yesterday. The way that I feel about relationships, the way that I feel about life and about being comfortable in discomfort. I was writing about all the topics that I love to talk about now. So I would tell her stay on that track. You have this spark that and this this tenacity for life that is that is amazing. Hold on to that. And then I can see how little by little I let that part of me kind of get covered up or chipped away, you know, like oh no, don't dream. You can't keep traveling your whole life or just all of these things added up, like the bills started to add it up after we got married and especially after we had kids. And it was like that version of me felt so far away. That mm-hmm. one that was like willing to go out there and learn and try new things. And I remember we, I had a conversation with my husband and we looked at each other and we're like, whose life are we living now? This was six years ago, five or six years ago. And we both were like, we are not we are not living the life that we thought we were going to live. Why? What happened? And it was a really like get present moment with, oh shit, we made these decisions. We did. And so now we can unmake them. What, like, what would it take? What would it take for us? How far out of the norm would we have to go to find our spirits again? And I don't know if we actually asked ourselves that question, but that was like at the heart of the search. Um, I mean, I remember Marty looking over at me at some point in the car and he was like, I feel like your heart is off. Your heart is off. And what do I have to do to turn it back on? And I couldn't have told you that my heart was off. All I knew was I, whatever, I was like under the mountain of all the bills that we had to make sure that we paid in, you know, not getting a lot of sleep because our twins were two years old at that point. And there was just a lot, you know, it was just whatever, life. Um, but that, that question, like, what, what do I have to do to get that heart back on? And I feel like now it is on, it is fully on, it is fully open. I continue to do things that scare me. Even yesterday, I led a movement workshop because I think our ability to connect with our body is really fundamental. And I invite adults and only three people showed up. And I'm like, you know, part of me could be like, that was a failure. Only three people showed up. But I was like, let's go, let's dance, let's move our bodies because I'm doing the stuff I want to do. 
And it still scares me, you know, it still scares me to put myself out there, especially asking adults that I feel like even living in Costa Rica, where it, it is a population of people that have already taken chances to leave the life that they've known and to live in a foreign country, right? So I'm already dealing with a really small portion of the population that has a higher risk tolerance. Even this population, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm on the edge. <laughs> and sometimes that feels lonely for me, but I would much rather be on my own edge and keep asking and inviting people to be on their edge with me because that's what lights me up. And I, yeah, it scares me. It scares me still. I will continue to do it. I will, it, it, they are things that keep me young uh, because I find that I have to keep seeking out more and more and more of, of my own edges. Otherwise I will become comfortable. I, I, everybody likes to be comfortable. You know, it's just like, ah, I mean, if I could show you the view of outside, I can look at the ocean. I'm like, oh, I could just hang out here all day. It's beautiful. But there's something about being on the edge of your, your own growth, or being on your own el- growth edge that is enlivening more than any cocktail could give you more than any, anything else of the, those types of, I guess, cardinal pleasures. Like there's something that brings me into myself by going there. Mm. Does that all make sense? Oh yeah. I mean, make sense to me and to everyone who's listening. If you need to listen to that, like a couple more times, really <laughs> go ahead and do that. But I will ask you, Megan, you know, as we kind of close out this conversation, I I can imagine that there might be like people listening to this being like, okay, good for you, or that's great for <laughs> her, or like, that's a cute story, but like, that's not realistic, or that could never be me. Um, and like, you know, it's okay to, to whoever you are that that's going on in your mind right mm-hmm. now. That is totally, totally okay. We get it. If you could share with that person one piece of wisdom that could help them get a little bit closer to their growth edge to allow them to maybe start to expand their idea of what their reality gets to look like, what would you say to them is a good place Mm. to start? I would just say, why not? So if this is my life and it feels crazy, why not yours? Where, what is holding you back from your dreams? And I know that that's a confronting question. I know that that brings up beliefs that feel so true. I know, I know because I have them in me too, where it's like, oh, I can't do that, you know? And so I know how much it takes to even ask that question, why not? But that, that question, if you keep asking yourself, you might start to see the cracks that might let in a little light of possibility of why not me? Why can't I live that life? And I would actually challenge people because this used to happen to me five years ago. I would look at women uh, leading incredible lives, like sharing their wisdom from a place of confidence. And I was so triggered. (laughs) I was so (laughs) triggered. I was like, I hate them. Uh, (laughs) But that, that was a gift. I would go back and tell that Megan and be like, huh, triggers you, huh? Yeah. What's going on there? (laughs) It's the last thing I would have wanted to hear, but it's so true. It's so true because I had a belief fundamentally that I told myself they could do it, but I couldn't. Mm. 
Mm. And that belief was keeping me safe and small. And it was that belief that I had to let go. And that was my identity. And it was safer at that moment before we cracked this wide open. It was safer for me to believe that I couldn't do it to keep myself small so that I didn't have to try. And that, that was the piece. And I'm sure I have more. I have more people, you guys listening. I have more that I'm still like, oh, but I could never do that. So I am right there with you. It's like this does not end. This Russian doll is nested and nested and nested. And there's more, more layers to peel back. So there's why not? Why not? Yeah. And that's, you know, you get to decide what is more powerful, right? Fear of failure or fear of never having tried. And I think that a lot of people don't actually look at it that way because we are just imprinted with this fear of failure. So we don't even know that that's what's going on for us. But then, you know, some people know, some people don't. You know, if you're a new listener, I'm going to tell you. Um, Megan knows my my dad died very, very suddenly, um, uh, like New Year's Eve 2022 into 2023. Um, no, 2020. No one into 2022 Mm -hmm. like yeah Mm -hmm. and um and that that's actually like part of the reason that i even am having this this podcast now because i used to look at people who had a podcast and be like oh like you know why like they get good for them or like you know i couldn't do that or like oh like i would love to but right all of these different things and suddenly you know when you realize like how short and fragile life is suddenly the fear of never having tried definitely outweighs the fear of failure. Like at this point, like I would much rather try and have it not work out than not try at all. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes, you know, really big moments to wake us up. Sometimes it can literally be just you waking up and being like, you know what, today I'm going to try to do this a little bit different because every moment we get a chance to make a different choice. And I think that that's something that we numb ourselves to, but it's Mm -hmm. a very important part of our reality that when we embrace that power to decide every moment what we actually want our life to look like and how we want it to be, there are amazing things that can happen. And I really feel like you are absolutely proof of that, Megan. Oh, thank you so much, Amber. I love this. I really do. And I'm so happy so happy you started your own podcast. So it is an honor to be a guest here. It's I'm just so excited for you and your journey and reaching more people and shining that beautiful light of yours. Thank you. And so for the people who are now, you know, equipped their interest, where can they find you? Your podcast will absolutely be linking everything in the show notes for your convenience. But just so you can hear it right from Megan, what do you got going on? Well, thank you. So you can find me on Instagram at Amory Podcast, A-M-O-R-Y. You can find me, my personal page, I don't post as much, but that's Megan Batia, M-E-G-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A. Check out my website, amorypodcast.com. I've got self-love groups going on. That's probably the, the main piece that your listeners might be interested in, but that's yeah. how you find me. Thanks so awesome. much. You are so very welcome. And also, are you taking uh, one-on-ones at this time? Just so I am. Know. I probably got enough room for one, maybe two. Okay. Well, this this will be out, dropping yes. sometime the end of March. So if you're lucky, <laughs> maybe we'll have some, some space for you then. But to that point, never hurts to ask. And um, Megan is very, very responsive in the DMs. So 
if you have questions, thoughts, comments, you're like, how the heck did you do this lady? Definitely reach out to Megan. Um, she's one of the warmest, kindest, most open-hearted people that I know. So I really appreciate you joining me today. And I invite all of you to go follow along at Amory Podcast. Thanks, Megan. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. There you have it. Another episode of the Sacred Leadership Podcast on the books. I hope your time spent here served you and nourished you. Join us every Tuesday for more honest conversations and powerful insights. Remember, exceptional leaders share the wealth. Send this episode to someone who would benefit, leave a review to let others know about the show, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Talk to you soon.